0: And we're now going to start Yay! with question one, Gareth Thomas, number one, Mr. Speaker. Prime Minister.
1: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Last week, an inquest found Francis Quinn, Father Hugh Mullen, Noel Phillips, Joan Connolly. Daniel Tegett, Joseph Murphy, Edward Doherty, John Laverty, Joseph Corr and John McCur, who were killed in Ballymurphy in August 1971, entirely innocent. On behalf of successive governments, and to put on the record in this House, I would like to say sorry to their families for how the investigations were handled. And for the pain they've endured since their campaign began almost five decades ago. No apology, Mr. Speaker, can lessen their lasting pain. I hope they may take some comfort in the answers they have secured and in knowing that this has renewed the government's determination to ensure in future that other families can find answers with less distress and delay. Mr. Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others in addition to my duties in this House. I shall have further such meetings later today. Mr Speaker, I
2: strongly associate myself with the uh, earlier part of the uh, comments that the Prime Minister made. Can I raise something uh, slightly different, uh, though? It's nearly four years since the Grenfell Tower tragedy claimed some 72 lives, yet hundreds of thousands of families still live in unsafe, unsellable homes, and many leaseholders face crippling debts through no fault of their own. Trident Point, Piermain House, Amber Court, all in my constituency. Given this was the biggest building scandal in modern UK yeah. history, why did the Prime Minister order his MPs to vote down our efforts yesterday to get this scandal
1: sorted once and for all?
0: Yeah. Prime Minister.
1: Uh, Mr Speaker, it, I I, I no way I underestimate the, 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 the suffering of, of those who, uh, the, the victims of Grenfell, and also those uh, whose, whose buildings, uh, whose homes uh, have been prejudiced by uh, the, the spectre of unsafe uh, materials. And that's why we provided an unprecedented £5 billion uh, pounds of investment. And I can tell him also that the most dangerous cladding has already gone or is going uh, from all high rise buildings, and we certainly agree. That leaseholders uh, should be protected uh, from from remediation costs, and people in high rise buildings will will pay nothing uh, to replace uh, their unsafe cladding.
2: Uh, Mr. Speaker, the Prime Minister will understand that Havering, just like Hillingdon, is located on the outskirts of London and has very different needs and aspirations from those in the core area of the city. My borough still prides itself as part of Essex, and I know that his does as part of historic Middlesex. And whilst we need cooperation on things like transport, will he accept that it is time for wholesale reform of the way London and the wider region are governed and support my campaign to allow boroughs like Havering to take back control (laughs) from the mayor and city hall interference Allowing Havering and indeed all outer London boroughs the freedom to make their own decisions that best meet the needs of local people.: I uh,
1: Well, I, I can understand the feelings of, uh, of frustration. Uh, that uh, the people of Havering may feel about a, a current mayor of London uh, who does not understand the needs of outer London, uh, who has not uh, invested in outer London in the, in the way that a previous mayor did, uh, who I seem to recall set up the outer London fund uh, and, and, drove, and drove through many other benefits for the outer boroughs. But uh, I, I must tell him in all candour that what we need to do is work together uh, to ensure that that glad day returns when we have a mayor who truly represents all Londoners, Mr Speaker.
0: Now comes the Leader of the Opposition,
2: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can I welcome the Prime Minister's comments on the Ballymurphy uh, inquest and the sentiment uh, behind them? Does the Prime Minister agree that the single biggest threat to hitting the June 21st date for unlocking is the risk of new variants coming into the UK? Prime
1: Minister. I, Mr. Speaker, I certainly think that that is uh, one of the uh, issues that we must face, but perhaps it would be for the benefit of the House if I update. Uh, The House on uh, where we are because we've looked at the data again this morning, and I can I can tell uh, the House, Mr. Speaker, that we have increasing confidence that vaccines are effective against uh, all uh, all variants, including uh, the Indian variant. To his uh, to his point, and I I want particularly uh, in this context to uh, thank the people uh, of. Uh, Of Bolton, of Blackburn, many other places who've been coming forward in record numbers, Mr. Speaker, to get vaccinated, to get their their first jabs and their second jabs, uh, Mr. Speaker. I think the numbers have doubled in Bolton alone, and I think the people of this country can be proud of their participation. Keir Starmer. Mr. Speaker, I think that's a yes that the risk of other
2: variants coming through our borders is one of the biggest threats to unlocking. We're not just talking about the Indian variant, we're talking about future variants. In those circumstances, why on Monday did the Prime Minister choose to weaken travel restrictions by moving 170 countries or territories to the amber list?
0: Prime Minister. Uh,
1: Mr Speaker, we have one of the strongest border regimes anywhere in the the world. Uh, There are are currently uh, 43 countries on on the red list. Uh, Mr Speaker, but if you are uh, coming from an Amber List country, everybody uh, should know uh, that if you travel to an Amber List country for, uh, for any emergency or any, uh, extreme, any extreme reason that you, you have for doing so, you, when you come back. Mr. Speaker, uh, you not only have to pay for all the, the tests, but you, when you come back, you have to self isolate uh, for 10 days. Uh, we will invigilate, we are invigilating it, and uh, people who fail to obey uh, the, the quarantine can face fines, Mr. Speaker, of up to £10,000.
2: Kirsten Mr. Speaker, I think everybody would agree that having moved 170 countries to the amber list, absolute clarity is needed about the circumstances in which people can travel to an amber country. Yesterday morning, the Environment Secretary said people could fly to list countries if they wanted to visit family or friends. By the afternoon, a government health minister said nobody should travel outside Britain this year, and travelling is dangerous. The Prime Minister said that travel to amber countries should only be where it's essential. By the evening, the Welsh Secretary suggested some people might think a holiday is essential. The government's lost control of the messaging. So can the Prime Minister answer a really simple question that goes to the heart of this? If, it, if he doesn't want people to travel to Amberlist countries, if that's his position, he doesn't want them to travel to Amberlist countries,
1: why has he made it easier for them to do so? Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, I think after more than a year of this, I think the, 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 the Honourable, Gentleman, right Honourable Gentleman would understand that what the public would like to see is some effort to back up uh, what the yeah. government is saying, uh, to, to deliver uh, clarity uh, of messages. And, and on his point about legal bans, as he knows, we're trying to move away from endlessly legislating uh, for everything and to rely on guidance and, uh, and asking people do, to do the right thing. And it is very, very clear, Mr. Speaker, you should not be going to an amber list country except for some extreme circumstances, such as the the serious illness of a of a family member. You should not be going to an amber list country on holiday, uh, Mr. Speaker. I can imagine he wants to uh, to take a holiday, but you should not be going to an amber list country on holiday, uh, Mr. Speaker. And uh, if you if you do go to an amber list Country, then, as I say, uh, we will enforce the 10-day quarantine uh, period, uh, and if you if you break the rules, you face very substantial fines. Kirstama. Mr.
2: Speaker, that completely swerves the question. The point was, if it's only in extreme circumstances, the Prime Minister's word, why make it easier to go? If it's extreme circumstances, why make it easier to go? And, Mr. Speaker, let's test it by looking at the consequences. Since the government loosened travel restrictions, 150 flights a day are going to amber list countries, and travel agents are reporting surges in holiday bookings to those countries. Prime Minister, this isn't just a coincidence. It's because of the messaging. So can the Prime Minister tell the House how many people are now travelling to and from Britain from amber list countries every day?
1: Prime Minister. Well, I can tell the House, Mr. Speaker, is that there has been a 95% reduction in uh, travel of any kind uh, to and from this country, and that is exactly what uh, you would expect in the circumstances of this uh, pandemic. Uh, there are 43 countries on the red list, and if you come back from one of those countries, you have to go immediately into, uh, into hotel. Quarantine and uh, the reason that we're able uh, to, to move forward in the way that we have is because, as I have told the house repeatedly, we are continuing with the fastest vaccination rollout uh, i think just about anywhere in, uh, in, in Europe and uh, as of today, 70 percent Mr Speaker, of the adults in this country have been vaccinated and I think that is a fantastic achievement and that is enabling us to make the progress that we are.
2: That's an I don't know. And the suggestion that in the last the, the suggestion that in the last few days there has been a ninety five percent drop off in travel to ambulist countries, Prime Minister, I don't think holds water. And I'm trying to understand the logic of the government's position. We know that new variants are the single speaker risk to unlocking. We know that the government doesn't think people should travel to ambulance countries, save in extreme circumstances. But the government's made it easier to do so. The messaging is confused and contradictory, and as a result, Prime Minister, this week many people are now travelling to amber list countries, but the the Government can't say how many or when. Mr Speaker, we're an island nation. We have the power to stop this. Why doesn't the Prime Minister drop this hopeless system, get control of our borders, and introduce a proper system that can protect against the threat of future variants of the
1: virus? Uh, Prime Minister actually Mr Speaker I think what would be helpful I have set out the position about ambulance countries I think uh, very clearly, at least at least twice. Wouldn't it be great, Mr. Speaker, to hear the right honourable gentleman backing it up for a change? Uh, get it, you know, using using what authority he possesses uh, to convey the message uh, to to the rest of the of the country. Actually, Mr. Speaker, when you look at the, the Labour position on, on borders, it's it's hopelessly confused. Last night, I think the shadow Home Secretary said that they wanted to cut the whole cut this country off from the rest of the world, Mr Speaker. Pause all travel. Pause all travel, even though 75% of our medicines and 50% of our food actually come from abroad, uh, Mr. Speaker. And it was only, only recently that he was saying that quarantine was a blunt instrument and he'd rather see alternatives.
2: <laughs>
1: Mr. Speaker, the Prime Minister's just wrong again. We've
2: called for a blanket hotel quarantine for months. I raised it here three times at Prime Minister's questions. The government ignored it every time, and look where we are now talking about the Indian variant. Mr. Speaker, the Prime Minister's former advisor had this one right. He said the government's border policy was a joke. Our borders have been wide out open pretty well throughout the pandemic. There was no hotel quarantine system in place until February this year, for that's not true. Flights are still coming in from India, and even as the variant is spreading the Prime Minister decides now is the time to weaken the system even more. It is ridiculous. Finally, Mr Speaker, I want, to raise, I want to raise the appalling rise in antisemitism in the last week on the attacks and the violence we have seen. On Saturday, a rabbi in Chigwell was hospitalised after being attacked outside his synagogue. Many of us will have seen the appalling incident in Golders Green. And the Community Security Trust report a 500% rise in anti-Semitic incidents since the outbreak of violence in Gaza and Israel. Now, I know the government is working on this, and both the Prime Minister and I have condemned these anti-Semitic attacks and violence. But we will all know across this House that Jewish communities remain very anxious. So what more does the Prime Minister think can be done to provide the extra support and protection needed To reassure Jewish communities at this really very difficult time.
0: Prime Minister.
1: Well, Mr. Speaker, I I share his horror at uh, the outbreak of anti Semitic uh, incidents, and uh, the government has conveyed uh, that message uh, loud and clear to those who are responsible for enforcing the law against hate crime. Uh, Of that kind, but obviously, we will continue to work and uh, to support the Jewish community in any way that we can, particularly working with the Community Safety Trust, who do an absolutely outstanding job, uh, in my view. Uh, But also showing as a country and as a society that we will call this out at every stage, Mr. Speaker. We will not let it. Take root, we will not allow it to grow and fester. And in welcoming uh, his remarks, I, I, I may say I think it's one of the most important changes of attitude, uh, or U turns, I should say, that I've seen uh, from the Labour Party in recent times. And I'm, and I'm, de- I'm, delighted, I'm delighted that he's taking, he's taking that attitude. I'm delighted that he's taking that attitude now. But I think what this country country wants to see, Mr. Speaker, is a government that gets on with delivering on the people's priorities, making everybody safe. And it might have been a good thing, Mr. Speaker, if he had voted, if he had voted, and he got his party to vote for tougher sentences against serious and violent sexual offenders. To say nothing of people who commit hate crime.
2: I think, in fairness, this house is very united and will remain united. And, of course, we do support the CST. Let's come to Mary Robinson.
0: Thank you, Mr Speaker. My second AstraZeneca job reinforced my confidence, not only in normal life resuming, but also in the future of our life science industry. In Cheadle and across South Manchester and the Cheshire Life Science Corridor, investment in R&D and innovation will bring high-skilled, well-paid jobs. Will the Prime Minister join me in recognising and endorsing the work of our Northern Universities, NHS trusts and life science sector, who, together with the Northern Health Science Alliance, are piloting health tech initiatives which will take us forward from jobs to jobs? Yes, Prime Minister.
1: Yes, Mr. Speaker, and I thank my honourable friend who is a great advocate for the people uh, of Cheagle. And uh, as part of our plan to move from jabs, jabs, jabs to jobs, 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 I'm delighted to say that over a billion pounds worth of government funded science and innovation projects are currently taking place across uh, the North West, uh, thanks uh, largely, or at least in part, to her advocacy.
0: Let's go to the leader of the SNP, Ian Blackford. Ian. Thank you Mr Speaker and can I thank the Prime Minister for his comments on the Ballymurphy inquest. Mr Speaker, as a member of Scotland's crofting community I understand just how disastrous a Brexit trade deal with Australia as proposed by this Tory government be for Scotland's farming and crofting sectors. If reports of this Tory deal are true, farmers will lose their livelihoods, rural businesses will collapse and ultimately families will be driven off the land. And let's be very clear, if that happens, this UK Tory government will be solely responsible. So just for once, Prime Minister, give a straight answer to these farming and crofting families who are living with this threat. Can the Prime Minister categorically rule out that his government is prepared to sign up to a trade deal that will at any future point guarantee tariff-free access to Australian lamb and beef? Yes or no? Minister.
1: Mr. Speaker, I know that the Right Honourable, I'm delighted to see the shots of his croft. Uh, By the way, uh, the the humble humble, uh, representative of the the crofting uh, community, may may I say that I I don't think that he does justice uh, to uh, to crofters, to farmers across the country uh, and across in Scotland as well, Mr. Speaker, because I think he grossly underestimates their ability uh, to uh, do great things with our free trade deals to export Scottish beef around the world, Mr Speaker. Why doesn't he believe in what the people of Scotland can do, Mr Speaker? Why is he so frightened of free trade? I think there's a massive opportunity for Scotland and for the whole of the UK, and
0: he should seize it and be proud of it. Going back to Ian Blackford, Ian. Thank you, Mr Speaker, that was quite chilling. To try and treat something as serious as this in the way that the government and the prime minister has done is really quite pathetic. The fact that the prime minister couldn't give a straight answer will send a real chill across Scotland's farming communities. The UK government led the betrayal of Scottish fishing, and now the Tories are planning to throw our farmers and crofters under the Brexit bus. This morning, Martin Kennedy, president of the National Farmers Union Scotland, told ITV that farmers will feel seriously betrayed by these proposals. This deal would be the final nail in the coffin for many Scottish crofters and farmers. It will end a way of life that has endured for generations, generations, Prime Minister. I know that many of the Prime Minister's Tory colleagues privately agree with me and want him to pull back from this deal. So will the Prime Minister finally listen, think again, and ditch a deal that will send our farmers down under? Prime Minister. Uh, Mr
1: Speaker. Uh, I, I really think. Well, first of all, he's totally wrong about what he says about the fisheries, uh, because in fact there are massive opportunities for fisheries for the whole uh, of the UK as we take back control of our territorial waters, and that will be the same for Scotland and around the UK. And I think, he, again, he is he is he is uh, grossly uh, underestimating the ability of the, the people of this country, the the agricultural communities of this country, uh, the, the farming industry to make the most of free trade. This is a country. This is a country that that grew. Uh, successful and prosperous on free trade, on exporting around the world. Our food exports are second to none, Mr. Yeah, Speaker. Uh, he should be proud of that. He should be celebrating that. And all he does, Mr. Speaker, is call for us to put up the drawbridge and go back into the EU to be run by Brussels. That is his manifesto, and I, I, I think the people of this country have decisively rejected it.
0: Joe Gideon, thank you, Mr. Speaker. North Staffs YMCA
2: in my constituency undertakes fantastic work transforming the lives of young people locally in the Stoke-on-Trent community, and I am delighted that they have been recognised for their work through the Queen's Award for Enterprise. There is no better example of levelling up in action and I would like to invite the Prime Minister to join me in congratulating all the staff, volunteers and partners of the YMCA in North Staffordshire. And I look forward to showing him leveling up in action when he next visits Stoke-on-Trent, the new second home of the Home
0: Office. Yay! Prime Minister.
1: I thank uh, my, my honourable friend very much, and uh, she's totally right, and it's part of our leveling up we are absolutely determined to do this as fast as we possibly can. Uh, thank you for uh, my honourable friend's message about it this morning. Uh, we, are, we, are, we are sending we are sending uh, uh, not just back offices, Mr Speaker, uh, but uh, some of the most important departments of state will be running will be run uh, from around our great cities and towns in the whole of the UK and I believe that will have a dramatic effect on leveling up across the UK and I, Thankful to her for her question. Ed Davey. Mr Speaker, local planning reforms introduced
2: by Liberal Democrat ministers have seen communities across England vote for new developments including new housing, new affordable housing, new community facilities whilst also protecting the environment and the countryside. So why is the Prime Minister so determined to push through his planning reforms that will do nothing to solve the country's real housing crisis, will allow developers to ride roughshod over local communities and will mean, in the words of his immediate predecessor as Prime
1: Minister, the wrong homes being built in the wrong places. The Prime Mr. Speaker, he's completely wrong, and uh, he should look at the bill when it comes forward, uh, because uh, we want to protect the green belt, we want to protect our wonderful open spaces. Uh, this is a government that understands the value of the uh, of the countryside and, r- and rural uh, rural Britain, uh, but we also think that young people uh, have been deprived for too long of the ability to get onto the housing ladder, Mr. Speaker. And it's not just in the south east; it's across the country, and that's why we're bringing forward sensible reforms to allow brownfield sites to go ahead.
2: Andrew Barr. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaker. Two weeks ago, in giving the Scottish Conservatives their highest ever number of votes yeah, in the era of devolution, yeah. the Scottish people decided that Scotland would remain at the heart. Of this newly reinvigorated global Britain. So, with that in mind, would the Prime Minister accept my invitation to Stonehaven in my constituency to come and plant one of 120 cherry blossom trees donated by the Sakura Cherry Blossom Tree Trust to celebrate the deep and growing links between our country and that other great trading nation,
0: Japan?
1: Prime Minister. Uh, Yes, Mr. Speaker, and uh, I I think that uh, such a gesture would be the cherry on the cake. Of the, of, the, of the free trade deal that we've already done.
0: How will Thank you, Mr. Speaker. In 2019, before visiting Wales, the Prime Minister said, I will always back Britain's great farmers. Now it looks as if he's backing Australia's farmers instead. So, will he
1: uh, today keep to his word, really back Welsh farmers, and permanently rule out tariff free access for Australian lamb and beef imports? Oh, yeah. uh, Mr. Prime Speaker, I will, I will back Britain's farmers and Welsh farmers uh, in exporting uh, their fantastic lamb around the world. Mr. Speaker, is it not a disgrace uh, that not a single morsel of Welsh lamb has so passed the lips of the Americans in the last 20 years uh, or more, Mr. Speaker? Uh, uh, what about China, Mr. Speaker? Has he no ambition uh, for the people of this country or for the people of Wales or for Welsh farmers? I do. This government does, Mr. Speaker. That's why we're getting on with our agenda.
0: Virginia yeah. Cross. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Does the Prime Minister or Privyet Kneadog agree with me that a free port on Anglesey would create much-needed skilled jobs and investment, protect our precious Welsh language and culture, and breathe fire into the nostrils of the Welsh dragon? And Will the Prime Minister accept an invitation on behalf of the people of Arnest Morn to join me on a tour of the island to include a panad at the Truck Stop Café in Hollyhead?
1: Prime Minister, uh, uh, yeah, uh, Mr. Speaker, it says here that I mustn't express a preference on the on the location of, of Freeports and I won't. But she makes a uh, she makes a, an outstanding case a, as ever, uh, and uh, she and she is uh, together with uh, uh, the, the, our Welsh colleagues, uh, she, uh, Welsh Conservatives colleagues. I believe she's helping now uh, to apply the the Vicks inhaler to the bunged up nostrils of the Welsh dragon. Richard Thompson. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, despite the opprobrium which the Prime Minister always seems to seek to heap upon the Scottish National Party, at the Scottish elections two weeks ago, the SNP was returned to government with twice the number of MSPs as their nearest rivals in the Scottish Conservatives, securing 48% of the vote. 49% of the seats in the proportional system and with 51% of voters backing parties which support an independence referendum in the current term. So if the Prime Minister genuinely believes that his criticisms of the Scottish Government have any merit whatsoever, why does he consider that the Scottish National Party did so well in those elections while his own party did so badly? Prime Minister, I uh, well, Mr. Speaker. I, 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 I totally regret to reject what he's just said. And I, I noticed that actually the, the Scottish National Party did less well uh, than they did previously under Alex Salmond uh, in 2011. I hesitate to point that out uh, to, to, the, to the honourable member, but that is, the, that is, the, that is the, the reality. And I think the reason for that is that the people of Scotland, notwithstanding uh, the, the nationalist approach that he takes, the people of Scotland have been very disappointed uh, by the actual record of the Scottish government in fighting crime in improving education and in making Scotland a great place uh, to live and to invest and that is the failing of which his government is being held to account. Yeah, Danny Kruger.
2: Thank you Mr Speaker. Uh, a large part of Salisbury Plain falls in my constituency of Devizes and I therefore have the honour to represent a, a lot of serving soldiers and veterans and their families. So, my right honourable friend will understand that feelings are running high in Wiltshire about the treatment of uh, British Army veterans of the conflict in Northern Ireland. Can he assure me that legislation will be brought forward in this session to protect veterans from further prosecutions or investigations unless compelling new
1: evidence is brought forward?
2: Prime Minister,
1: Mr. Speaker, the House will have understood from my opening apology how difficult how. Complex uh, and how fraught these issues are. But we are committed to introduce legislation uh, in this session uh, to address the legacy of the troubles in, in Northern Ireland and to introducing a, a fair package uh, for veterans as well and to protect them, uh, as I've said many times before, from unfair, vexatious litigation when no new evidence has been brought forward. Gerald George. Thank you, Mr Speaker. There were no new measures in the Queen's Speech to tackle youth unemployment. There are over 500,000 unemployed young people in this country, yet the Government's flagship youth unemployment scheme is nowhere near sufficient, only helping around 1 in 25 young people. I and my honourable friend for Gwent have already requested a meeting with the Minister to discuss local concerns from training providers and local businesses. So, could I ask the Prime Minister what exactly he's going to do to address this and to safeguard the future of a generation of young people in this country?
0: Yeah, uh, we're putting
1: two billion, very quickly, Mr Speaker, we're putting £2 billion into the Kickstart programme for 18 to 24 year olds uh, and, uh, uh, and investing massively in the Restart programme for those who've been uh, longer out of work. But uh, can, I t- I, 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 can I also tell them that the businesses I talk to are currently facing shortages of workers in many, many sectors, and we will work flat out to ensure that we get uh, those who want jobs uh, to those uh, who need uh, workers as well.
2: James Garfield. thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can I thank the Prime Minister for the support he's already shown for coming forward with an offshore transmission grid? Which he knows will help us both to export our surplus offshore wind into the continent and reduce the infrastructure associated with uh, new wind farm capacity. So it's very important to our communities. But there's a question over timing. So, given that he's already set out a very ambitious and clear timetable to increasing offshore wind generation, will he now come out with an equally ambitious timetable for delivering an offshore grid? Prime
0: Minister. Uh, my honourable
1: friend is spot on in what he says about the need for an offshore grid. Uh, as well as the building the the, the fantastic uh, windmills, it's vital that we bring the, the energy onshore uh, in a way that is uh, uh, as uh, has minimal disruption uh, for local uh, communities and enables us to, to maximise efficiency.
2: Water. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. What does the Prime Minister think when he hears Jenny McGee, the nurse who saved his life, say of NHS staff? We're not getting the respect and now pay that we deserve. I'm just sick of it, so I've handed in my resignation. Surely even he must pause and think, what can be learned from the mistakes of the past year? What Jenny calls the indecisiveness and mixed messages of his government. And will he think again about giving nurses more than an insulting 1% pay
0: yes. rise? Right? Yes.
1: Uh, Mr Speaker, I think the whole House acknowledges our. Collective debt to the nurses of the NHS, and I certainly acknowledge my own huge personal debt, and that's why, uh, of all the professions. Uh, In this country, Mr. Speaker, in very, very tough times, Uh, we have asked the Public Sector Pay Review Board to look at uh, an increase in pay for nurses. But in the meantime, we have increased starting salary for nurses by 12.8%. We have put in uh, the bursary worth £5,000. We've restored that, Mr. Speaker, uh, as well as £3,000 for extra help. But above all, Mr. Speaker, to all nurses, and I know what a tough year they have had, I know how hard it has been. On the front line coping with this pandemic, we have done what I think is the most important thing of all, and that is to recruit many more nurses. There are now about 11,000 more nurses in the NHS today than there were this time last year, and there are 60,000 more, Mr. Speaker, in training. And we are on target to reach our target of 50,000 more nurses in the NHS.
0: To James Davies. Following on that theme, Mr. Speaker, patients in England have unfettered access to specialist hospital care anywhere in England, including within world leading centres of excellence. But my constituents in North Wales have no such automatic choice, with access dependent on restrictive contracts or individual funding requests. So, will my right honourable friend do all he can to ensure that healthcare? Features prominently within the UK Leveling Up agenda, Prime Minister.
1: Yes, I I thank my uh, honourable friend for uh, for his point, and he he knows a a great deal about uh, the subject. Uh, We've worked very hard with the uh, with the Welsh government throughout the pandemic, uh, supporting uh, them with uh, 8.6 billion pounds of of additional funding through the through the Barnett formula. Uh, But clearly, we need to learn the lessons together as we as we bounce forward from this pandemic.
2: Just in matters. Thank you, Mr Speaker. It's now 664 days since the Prime Minister said he had a plan for social care. But the Department for Health and Social Care are advertising at the moment for social care policy advisors to, and I quote, develop proposals for reform. Why do that if there is a plan already? Every day more people lose their life savings to pay huge social care costs, and we can't even get a straight answer as to whether the government have a plan to fix social care.
1: Never mind find out what it actually is. So just tell us, Prime Minister, Do you have a plan? Yes or no?
0: Uh,
1: Mr. Speaker, yes is the answer. But I mean, the the, the Labour Party, the the Labour Party junked it, junked it in 199. This is is something that, for decades, uh, politicians have failed to address. 1999. Labour failed to uh, address the plan they, they had 13 years 13 years in government mr speaker i think it was 13 13 unlucky years for this country they didn't do it and they didn't do it and this government is going to tackle it this government is going to is going to finally going to address the issue of social care and if they want to support it with their customary with their customary Doughty, uh, doughty resolve mr speaker if they want to support it without wibble wobbling from one week to the next in whatever their policy is uh, then uh, without changing like weather veins uh, which is what they normally do, if they want to support it if they want to back it then i'm all ears mr speaker
0: thank you mr speaker throughout this week businesses across birmingham
1: have reopened their doors to customers inside from usher and molly rigby's to bellissimo and real cinema would the Prime Minister join with me in wishing them all the best of luck as they get back on yeah. their feet? And does he also agree with me that if we're to support local businesses in the long term, we need to create the environment and the opportunities they need to succeed? And that includes schemes like the Levelling Up Fund and yeah. the Lifetime Skills Guarantee. Yeah. Minister. Uh, yes, Mr. Speaker, that's why we're, uh, we're investing, for instance, uh, £3.6 million from the Getting Building Fund for the development of. Uh, of Pioneer Place. Uh, Burnley will also benefit from our, our High Streets Task Force. But what, in, what uh, Burnley and towns uh, across the country need more than anything else is passionate leadership, uh, such as my honourable friend shows in championing uh, their, their localities and getting the right investment in.
2: Final question, David yeah, yeah Thank you, it, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister will be aware of Gladys' proposal to close the McVitie's factory in Glasgow's East End, putting at risk up to 470 local jobs. So will the Prime Minister join with me in engaging with Plaid's global CEO Salman Amin and call upon him to rethink these plans which would definitely unleash economic Armageddon on a very, very, very fragile part of the local economy?
1: Yeah, yeah. Prime Minister. Uh, yes, I'm, I think uh, McVities have been a proud part of the Scottish economy uh, since uh, 1800 and I know, I know that... Uh, People at the, at the Toll Cross uh, factory, their, their relatives, will be very concerned about uh, what is happening. I thank him uh, for raising it. I know that conversations are, uh, are now going on uh, to see what we can uh, do with it. I think it is the Turkish company uh, that, that now owns um, Vitties, uh, and I know my hon. friend, the Secretary of State for, for Scotland, is, uh, is meeting the hon. member to discuss the situation.
2: I am now suspending the House for three minutes to enable necessary raisings for the next business. Order.